Hi, Rebecca. It's Beatrice. Hello, Beatrice. How are you? I'm okay. I've got a bit of a cold, as you can probably hear. I'm a bit under the weather as well. Yeah, but otherwise... We're brave. Yeah, and it's nice to talk. It's very nice to talk. And How I've, have you been this week? I've been okay. I, um, I've been looking forward to our talk because I wanted to ask you for some advice. Um, mm-hmm. I've been going down some paths, or maybe I should say I've been swimming down a lane. Um, Good Lord. Um, and I'm not quite sure whether, whether I'm going in the right direction, whether it makes any sense. So I'll try and make this... Oh, this is interesting. <laughs> I'll try and make this short. So um, okay. I, I'm working on a talk which is meant to be about early 20th century clothes and movement but oh, not, interesting but not film so okay. um and i i've been thinking about in my my sort of imagination women in the early 20th century so i'm talking sort of before first world war one sure they so they sort of float and waft around they don't sort mm. of and that's maybe a wrong idea but anyway that led me on to I, I kept thinking about a garment that we have at the museum, which I think I even mentioned last week, which is a Lucille garment, and oh, yes. um, it's sort of Odenilish, um, and underneath, from underneath, there's sort of a bit of lace escaping, a bit of um, sort of pink chiffon, and it's sort of quite gauzy and frothy, and that made me somehow every time I see it, but then. Every time I see it, I I think about it. It looks to me like it's sort of in water. Oh yes, so very watery colors. Yeah, the colors are very watery. But then I was always thinking. I, I was thinking this morning. I'm actually looking at a lot of clothes lying down. So that mm. might be part of it. I'm not seeing them on someone. I'm seeing seeing them lying down, which makes me yeah. probably even more think of them in water. But anyway, that then led me um, to thinking about Ophelia, and um, that then led me to mermaids. Um, oh my goodness! Yes, and I I've been I've been reading a bit about Ophelia and, and mermaids, and but also looking at sort of images from from the period of of dresses, but of also people wearing dresses, and I I do think there's. There's something there. I'm. I'm just there looking. There is. It, it, it is weird. I'm just looking at um, at one picture of Camille Clifford. Um, you know the original oh, yes. Gibson girl. Yes. Yes. And it's not maybe someone where you immediately think mermaid because her, you know, her clothes are often really, really plain at the top mm. to show off her figure. But then they often end in this sort of swirl at the bottom. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say while you were talking, so often they, they're they really clingy, almost like they're wet. Mm. And then they're kind of whipped round at the bottom in a fishtail, yes. So And there's one particular one um, where it's sort of whipped round, like you say, but she also has got bits of sort of green flowers. It's always as if, as if she sort of picked up some, some flotsam and jetsam. Oh, really? <laughs> and she's sort of just come out of the water like a sort of mermaid Venus mixture. Oh, my goodness. And there's sort of still some algae sort of, or if that's how you say how it. How amazing. Clinging onto her, but that's how I look at it now. So I'm looking through every at everything with a mermaid lens at this point. Yeah, um, but I think that's a really fabulous lens to look through. Because I I hadn't thought of this, but you're right, absolutely right. Because when you see like fancy dress costumes for um, 
mermaids. It's always exactly that shape, isn't it? Mm. And and it's really interesting, you know, thinking about movement in that period, like you say, that it is because it was making me think of you know I really love P.G. Woodhouse books, and yeah. I know this is a bit of a weird link, <laughs> but I really love the way he uses language, and I love it in the um, in the um, Jeeves and Worcester books that it's always he always talks about how. Jeeves doesn't actually seem to walk. He just like shimmies in or he just appears. Mm. And and I feel it's like the same with Edwardian women or like the idea of them from still images. Anyway, because you can't see their legs and because they seem to be deeply hidden under so many layers of petticoats and there's a train and everything, it is as though they just glide. Somewhere. Yeah. So, so that... I do. I think they are mermaidy. I think you are onto something. And it, it... Was that... Sorry, go on. And it's I, I wonder why why people were so interested. The other thing I found um, since I've been looking into this, in um, 1906 at the London Hippodrome, which was some sort of big entertainment venue, uh. there was a big entertainment for Christmas, which was about a sort of stranded ship, and it involved oh, sea wow. monsters and mermaids. And I would really like to see them. I know, I, I have to see whether there is a picture. And it in, involved someone called Annette Kellerman. I don't know whether you've come across her. Oh, is she the swimmer? Yes, exactly. Oh, my God, she was a really iconic swimmer. Yes. And th- of course, there's the link. And what was the record she sent, set? She was really influential and important at the time. I don't know the record she set. Um, I should have looked that up. But she, she was famous for a variety of things she wore quite a she wore almost like a modern bathing suit but you know like a modest bathing suit you would probably call yeah. it now so it wasn't it was clinging to her body um but she also at the powerhouse apparently in australia she was australian have quite a lot of her her garments and they do have a mermaid outfit for oh, her um, wow and i think one of my students wrote about her a couple of years oh, really? ago yeah, she wrote about different sort of Australian women coming over to this country and kind of how they were positioned and how they were viewed. But no, Annette Kellerman was really a big deal. Mm. And I th- I know what it is. She helped popularise synchronised swimming. Ah, yes, that's true. And Esther Williams. I think oh, my God, mil- I love Esther Williams so much. The Million Dollar Mer- Mermaid, I think, yes. is about the story of Annette Kellerman. Um, so that's a sort of six degrees that's of true, separation. Yes. Um, but oh I do, I, I then thought, I looked up when Jules Verne wrote the, um, what's it called, um, his book about Under under the under the Sea. Oh, however many thousand books yeah. under the sea. And, uh, but that's quite a bit earlier, that's sort of 18, 1870. Um, and of course, that throughout the 19th century, you get lots of images of um, nymphs and um, mermaids frolicking. So it's something that sort of has quite a long history. But I, I do wonder whether there's something extra going on in the early 20th century. Well, there's definitely the swimmers, mm. like women swimmers and swimsuits. Mm. developing in that period isn't there yeah and the way that they're often photographed is quite mermaid yes. because they'll be standing on rocks or something as though they've just they're or a even sea creature or even lying on on rocks. yes yeah. true mm. Mm. so there's that um i wonder if there's a, is there like a famous edition of of you know 
any um what's it called the the little mermaid the, ah, the fairy tale yes i that's the other thing um there is um this illustrator called dulac i think it's edmond um but i'm not sure um and when i was when i was younger i had a i had a book with his illustrations uh, and they're they're absolutely amazing of Hans Christian Andersen's tales, which I mm. find really really disturbing. Um, and they are. I mean, and they are. the Little Mermaid ones—they're all these sort of O'Neill bluey colours with a lot of frost, and they're they're absolutely beautiful um, and really very much the sort of colours you get in some of the Edwardian dresses. And I think that also came wow. out that the addition with oh yes, I'm just looking the illustrations. And I do think that came out at that sort of pe period as well. So, and then I was sort of wondering about, I don't know whether whether it had something to do with ideas about women and their sexuality at this particular point in time, because oh, it because it is weird how um, how Camille Clifford, you know, her body is so sexualized in a way but then also it's like she's wearing almost like armor you know you wouldn't be able it's almost impossible to figure out how you would get into there yeah. <laughs> um and i don't know whether there's something odd going on about that as well i'm not sure um Do you lack his book his book he became a naturalized british citizen in 1912 hmm. and his books seem to come out from 1907 onwards or yeah. his illustrations in... and there's a stories from hans christian anderson of 1911 so it is exactly the that, right yeah era mm. and i yeah oh it's so fascinating mm. I've, and, and I, it is sorry and it is i think there is a sexual like i mean be, you know the whole idea of the siren and it is definitely tied up you mentioned venus as well mm. there's sort of botticelli's venus that these images evoke but also definitely kind of i wonder if there are also any kind of seafaring things of this period that are linked to the idea of sirens and the idea of mermaids and the sort of myths of mermaids. Mm. What do you mean by oh, seafaring things? I'm thinking of like sailors thinking that they can actually see mermaids. Oh, of course, yeah. Mm. Um, you know, because that's where it comes from, isn't it? Yes, I but, think so. Mm. <clears throat> Because it's, well, I suppose it's sort of Greek mythology. Yes. Oh, and I've just found a lovely John William Waterhouse, a mermaid of 1900 that's all very sexualized. And, you know, she's got a very fishy fish tail that <laughs> curl. She's sitting down. She, she sort of, there's like rocks and the sea beside her and seaweed. And she's combing her hair with her fingers. And it's all very sexualized. Oh, my goodness. And then I also found this image of this... Um, it looks like in, in England you would say musical comedy or maybe musical star. She's called Paul, like Paul with an E at the end, morning. Uh -huh. And she she wears a costume that is very mermaidy, but um I haven't oh, really? quite found out. There are quite a lot of postcards of her still about wearing this sort of mermaidy thing. It must have been one of oh, her famous um roles on stage, but I haven't there isn't that much of her um easily available. I need to sort of have a good look through Gallica to see whether I find anything. Oh yeah, I love Gallica. Um, but I, I, it is, it is interesting that it happens at this particular point. I was also good. I, I always like to find sort of practical, um, you know, technical things that might have changed something. And another thing I haven't done yet is sort of looked into diving, whether there was some development there. You know, at some point they developed these better suits to go diving and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Oh. 
But that might have been quite a bit earlier. I'm not. I'm not sure. And it wow, might not I just be found really, some but... pictures of this poor Morley. She is incredible. She is. She is. And I see exactly what you mean about about. There's the one I found. She's seats. She's seat, seated, and I see exactly what you mean about. It's almost like she's sort of dragged in bits of seaweed and things on her dress. Yeah, and there's one when she where she's holding something or she has something on her head but I, I in mm. the postcards it almost looks like it's been painted on and it looks again yes, like a bit of hand tinted yeah it looks a bit like seaweed or something yes like she... definitely definitely so I, mean, I, I think... all... sorry sorry I was just going to say in terms of kind of vaudevillax clearly I mean she's amazing mm. but I wonder if it's also a way of you know it's kind of the idea of nudity as yes. well can be played with a lot mm. more with a mermaid because it's it's so close to high fashion what she's wearing but it's completely strapless and sleeveless so you get a lot more you get all of her shoulders decolletage so it kind of refers to what you would see in a ballroom but it's so much more revealing and daring and then the there's no sort of layers underneath the skirt so instead of the legs remaining a mystery they're kind of there within the fish tail. Yeah. but mm -hmm. it's kind of okay because she's a mermaid which is a mythical figure do you know what i mean is it kind of legitimizing there's definitely something there there are quite a few um saucy for want of a better word um that's a good word I like <laughs> postcards of um women draping themselves on bits of green stuff um not wearing very much but having this sort of greenery drapery around them and so i think it's definitely it's a bit like fancy dress or sort of certain fancy dress outfits give you a license to wear very little and yeah i'm not sure whether I, that's another thing potentially to look into it's a bit difficult going going as a mermaid because of the tail i guess um, but I wonder whether it was a popular fancy dress outfit. But I, I think, was wondering that. Too. I think you're totally right about it being allowing you to have something quite clinging. Because what yes, you said definitely. earlier at the beginning about Camille Clifford, I hadn't actually, I hadn't thought of that, that it almost looks like wet, some of yeah. the stuff she wears. Mm. It definitely does. And I think it's that, that it's like a perverse thing with these these skirts that they simultaneously completely conceal the legs but make them the absolute focus and fascination mm, because yeah. because you know that and the way that the skirts are photographed wrapped around really you know it's really significant that they are i hadn't sort of thought about it before because why aren't they just left to train to to show the train like yes. usually you would photograph or draw it to show the train but there's something about there's some kind of visual fascination with it being pulled round so that the train wraps around the legs which means that the skirt is as skin tight and clingy as that style will allow mm -hmm. and i i'd like to think that it's showing them as if they've just twirled and come to a halt but ah, that's interesting. i'd love to think that but i don't actually when you look at them it doesn't quite work i think she did particularly camille clifford I've, I've found other women in in similar stance with with this similar thing happening but particularly camille clifford i think she does normally look quite statuesque she yeah i think there's definitely a statue a, a, a woman as statue and as monument and almost britannia mm. to it 
Yeah. But, but then Britannia links to the sea as well. True. True. But it's there's something incredibly static. I mean, I know that sounds stupid when it's a still image, <laughs> but some still images are so alive. Yeah. And, but there's something is very, very, it's very tightly wrapped always, isn't it? There's not, a, yeah. And also, is it a gesture? I'm just thinking earlier on, obviously, but like a teaser that you get lots with the hand, the the woman's hand on the back of her skirt. So was it also a gesture, I'm thinking, with, with a train? I mean, I've never actually worn a train, <laughs> but do you need to keep pulling it round? I think you do. So you don't fall over, basically. That's a really good point. If I think of that gesture, sort of someone slightly bending down and mm. swooshing it to the back so they don't yeah. fall over it, that definitely seems something that I have seen. I should watch a film set. Well, there are actually films from that period, aren't they? Um, yeah. So I should have a look at that, but maybe also something set in that period and see what people, what yeah, people do. Yeah, how they manage it. Because just, just the thing of having to manage that much drapery... Yeah, with Camille Clifford, you you almost think she couldn't have got out of the studio. Even you know, someone would have had to carry her off the set um, because <laughs> there's there's so much fabric sometimes around her at the bottom. It's it's quite odd. Um, I don't know whether she could actually have moved in these things. She lets herself be photographed in. Well, it, while you've been talking, there's two things I'm thinking about. One is, does Cecil Beaton talk about this in the Glass of Fashion? Mm, good is there point. anything in that? Because I love that book so much. It's one of my favourite books about fashion. And he's obsessed with women of this period, isn't it? Isn't he? Because it's kind of when he was little, looking at his mother and like aunts and pe women around him, but also obsessing over. I think Gertie Miller. Society women. I also yeah. think Gertie Miller. I might have. I know Noel Coward was a big Gertie Miller fan, and but I have yeah. a feeling Cecil Beaton might have been as well. Um, maybe not. I might have got. Yeah, maybe. But have a look mm. and and have a look at his drawings of the, of women of this period, and yes, and, and now I've forgotten the second thing. Maybe My Fair Lady, on. because I saw. Well, that's what I was thinking as well. Mm. How does Audrey cope with a train? Yes. Because it, she also there's, I'm, I'm sure I've seen a, a picture where she also has this fishtail thing going on. Yes. Um, I need to look at the uh, Ascot scene of Martha yes, Lady. Mm, yeah. Did they have, is it an invention of like later costume films or did they ever have like a string that was hooked to their wrist to swoosh it about? They did. I, I think that is. I I have I remember it seeing it at the Museum of London mainly with dresses that have um um what's it called a bustle um and really quite long trains and I I think um I've also seen it with court trains so yeah if you have a proper train then that that you you do have that but with these weird ones that only start at the knee I'm not quite sure. Um, I think, I mean, maybe that's now going really silly, but I, I'm just keep looking at this Camille Clifford image I've got on my screen, and mm. to to get hold of that particular train, you have to bend down. But that, of course, yeah. gives even more insight into your figure. So maybe that's but also be difficult to bend down. Oh yeah, and a true. True. And do you think when you walked, you'd have like frothy little waves? 
possibly. I that's what I hope because if there isn't I any, like, I would like to think that's what yeah. I think that's what I will claim because I I have to have movement in there somewhere. Um, I think it suggests some sort of movement, and I'm sure you would have. I I think it, yeah, I probably would swish from side to side when you walk, um, particularly the way you would have to walk in something so tight. So that's again something to look out for in films. Definitely. Well, I'm, I'm pleased you're not saying it's totally I'm mad. loving it. I okay. love it. And it's also making me think of, I mean, obviously completely the wrong period, but Charles James mermaid dresses and mm. also Norman Norell mermaid dresses. Oh, Norman Norell, I don't know the mermaid dresses. Well, those amazing, he, he did these amazing dresses, which are, uh, I think they're sort of silk jersey and then they're, they've got flat sequins all over them and they're, they're, they skim the figure and they're beautiful. Oh, and I think the other one is, I think Mugler, he did some. Um, of course he did. The, mm, he did that incredible. The encrusted um, one. Mermaid. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's just like the most fantastical kind of cyber mermaid. Yeah. If that would be possible, but you'd probably <laughs> electrocute yourself in the water, so maybe not. Yeah. Oh, I like the idea of wow. a cyber mermaid, though. A cyber mermaid. Mm. A um, robot mermaid. The other thing interesting is that it seems to be quite a big thing now at this particular point, mermaids. It really is. Yeah. It really because I suppose because of Disney and I repeated guess. Disney franchise I, and merchandise and things. I I think it has something to do with young girls and sexuality, though. Again, there's something there. I'm convinced. Well, yeah. I'm not quite sure what, but um, I think there's something. Well, there. it's interesting, isn't it, that there's. There's an awful lot of mermaids and unicorns. Yes, oh, unicorns. Of kind of mythical beasts mm. that are, that if you think about it too much, it does get very sexual and, mm. and problematic for yeah. small children. So let's not think about it. Let's at this not think point, about it. Let's maybe. return. Let's return. For now, let's just think about Edwardian ladies as mermaids. Yeah, okay. Which is a much more pleasant thought. <laughs> yes. And and I really love it, and I want you to keep going with it, okay. and I want you to send me every picture you find. Okay, will do. Thank you. And That's... can we just pause for a moment to think about Esther Williams, because I just love her. Yeah, no, she's absolutely amazing. I, the, I She must have written an autobiography. I, yes, I... she has. I think it's called Million Dollar Mermaid. I really want to want to read it and I'm, I'm I'm quite I hope she talks about some practical stuff like how you cope being in the water for that long without because we're going to need to know about yeah, that if we ever do an arcade yeah, yeah if we ever do a synchronised swimming I would really like to routine. Now, when I was little I used to watch the Esther Williams films and I because I used to swim as you know mm. I mean like getting up at 6 in the morning and going to the pool kind of wow. level swimming and this was like from the age of seven to 12. And I watched those films and in my head, that was what I was doing when I was going down to the pool, even though I was just swimming lengths very fast. But in my mind, it was, you know, appearing from the depths of the pool and, you know, fireworks and... And wearing a tiara, I think that's a big part of the whole I mean, thing. I mm. know, because I do think, I mean, I love Elizabeth Taylor for a billion reasons. But that photograph of her, there's like a film of her, is it? Of her swimming in her pool somewhere, hot and exotic. And then she comes out of the water and she's wearing her diamond. <laughs> and I just think that is that is the ultimate. You're in the pool, in your diamonds. Yeah. And Esther Williams really captures that thing. 
Yeah. Doesn't she? Of of well, this I think we're getting back to little girls' mermaid fantasies <laughs> yes. a bit here. Yeah, yeah, we are. We are. We are, and clearly we both had them and still have them. Yeah. Of wearing our tiaras and. Mm. I'm wearing mine now. Okay. Mm, oh well, you always are. <laughs> I know <laughs> that. <laughs> But what about you? you? What have you been doing? Well, it's it's not as kind of mythical and amazing. Hmm. But I wanted to tell you because I because I just really think you'd like this show and you should go and see it. Um, at Two Temple Place, which is just along the embankment from the courtyard, so it's like you know there's like embankment gardens by Temple oh, yeah. Cube, and it's just like at the end of there it's, mm-hmm. it, it's this amazing sort of neo-gothic mansion so it's worth going just to see the architecture and the interior which is all sort of very heavy dark wood carvings and painted glass ceilings and things um it was william waldorf astor's estate offices oh, okay and built in the late 19th century so it's this incredible building and each year they have an exit, the winter exhibition. And my colleague, um, Martin Cage Smith, who, who runs the curating MA at the Courtauld, he's like their program advisor. Um, and they have this lovely exhibition on at the moment called Rhythm and Reaction, which is about the age of jazz in Britain. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really, really nice. I don't know why I've never been before. I kind of feel guilty that I haven't because it's such a lovely... It's a lovely venue, and the, I really, really enjoyed the exhibition. I took the students, um, because we've been on strike about pensions, mm. we've been organising like an alternative timetable for the students. So we've had, you know, like gallery visits and discussions and all sorts of different events for them. And I took a group of, it was really nice actually, because it was a mixture of BA and MA, which you don't usually have. So mm. it was really nice um to this exhibition and it's lovely it's really interesting because it's thinking about as the title implies the reaction to jazz so it does tell you about kind of african americans coming over to britain pre first world war mm-hmm. and kind of really early jazz musicians being here and you know how important that was and then the war as a really sort of crucial moment in african-american history because obviously there were well not just african-american but like there were black troops from the colonies mm. and the empire fighting in the war so like in prisoner of war camps they were recording music from all these different countries and singing and language and just you know sort of a, a, a black voice relating to jazz was emerging then and then it shows how post-war and in the 20s jazz became kind of mainstream in Britain, but how, like, the reaction to it is because of technology, because, you know, of radio technology, so people can have it in their home. Mm-hmm. But also what I really liked is it shows how artists reacted to jazz, but also, like, ceramicists, textile designers, you know, there's film footage of people at jazz clubs. It's really interesting. It really makes you think about the kind of visual and material culture relating to music. Mm, yeah, because I was, really gonna, good. I was going to ask you, how do they actually, how, how do they show it? Because I think music in exhibitions is not, is not easy. No, it's really not. It's really not. And it, it really pushes you to think about the idea of how you listen to music with your whole body. Do you know what I mean? Like the way that the rhythm of jazz 
like infect your body and you want to move mm. and it and a lot of the art has that sense of of kind of movement and kind of simultaneously like the jazz rhythms being quite dissonant and chaotic but also controlled and and like you know the sort of virtuoso performers creating this sound and there's there's like a what one of the things I really like that because one of the remits of the museum is to um, bring things from collections around the UK. Mm -hmm. So they had a series of shoes on display from Northampton Museum, mm -hmm. and it really made you think about how if you're a dance jazz, like the rhythms are so intense, and how much your feet would be visible by the 1920s with dancing. And there was this amazing pair of gold shoes that I think were from the co-op so like you'd save up stamps you'd pay in and buy them that way like gold and then with kind of turquoise and sort of glittery paste jewels on at the at the, just at the front and on the heel mm. so as you moved there would be the this gold and then a sparkle mm. that I really like but even for men's shoes like being black and white or brown and white so that contrast would really show mm. um and like textile designs where the the print is kind of layered so it's like multiple bodies dancing so you get that sense oh. of yeah yeah and the layers moving against each other probably exactly yeah. mm. exactly and it's just really fascinating and they they have i mean obviously it really shows how stereotype like the the kind of white artists didn't always know how to even depict the black body that mm. they they were so sort of trained into a stereotype a sort of racist stereotype of what blackness is that they couldn't realistically depict a black body there's sort of some really quite horrible caricatures and sort of minstrel looking depictions but really important to think about that and to think about how there's clearly such desire and inspiration and fascination and joy that comes out of listening to jazz but also kind of fear of that level of kind of intoxication with black culture mm. um and there's like points where you can sit and listen to some some of the music and there's like melody maker magazine and things and there's there's photographs like the big jazz stars coming over to britain um on cruise ships so these sort of incredibly chic groups of you know the band on board ship and things um But yeah, I think it's it's small, but it's a really, really interesting... It's, it's curated by um, Professor Catherine, I think it's Tackley, who's a, a professor of music at um, Liverpool University. And it's just, yeah, it just really made me think, like you said, how do you, how do you show music in a museum? Mm. But I think it's really clever to look at the reaction. Yeah. And there's lots of kind of Pathé film clips um, of people at jazz clubs in the 20s and 30s and like I really liked it. there's like little cartoons that are about jazz music and things so it really yeah I think it makes you think about the way you respond with all your senses to music but also to textiles or to or to shoes or whatever do you know what I mean that you're not just looking or you're not just hearing you're feeling these things as well and and like really reinforces how important black culture has been in this country you know because because often people think that just came with the windrush in the post second world war period and it just really shows how how influential black culture is 
um, earlier on in the 20th century. It's really, really good. Yeah, it's interesting. There seems to be, there is this book by, I think it's called, I'm just looking at it, by Mark Matera, I think he's called. It's called Black London. Oh, right. um, and it came out a few years ago. Um, and um, that is about that sort of period and black people in London before Windrush. And there are a few others now. And then there was the um, A, is it ABP? Yeah. Um, oh, I love that gallery. With their collaboration with the National Portrait Gallery. Unfortunately, mm. they almost left out that period. It was sort of pre-World War One, and then again after yeah. World War One. But also looking at sort of black black and brown, maybe, I should say, presence in London. But I, hit, yes. I think that's really... I, it's so interesting because there were actually so many particularly performers yes. um yeah and and i think that yeah it has been sort of looked at a bit but not not as much as it no. is now. i mean i mean you're right autograph abp is a brilliant collection and a brilliant place i think i took my students there last term and they're doing such amazing research finding you know, the wealth of people of colour mm. who were, you know, both sort of everyday people, if I can put it like that, and mm. and just, and really significant within different parts of, of culture in, in London and in Britain um, in the 19th and early 20th century. Mm. It's really important what they were, they're working on, I think. Yeah, um, definitely. And that exhibition yeah. sounds, sounds amazing. I love it how sometimes... You know, the exhibitions don't have to be massive to... I actually prefer small exhibitions. Yeah, mm, me too. I kind of, and I kind of like how you can be really super focused in a small exhibition and have quite a tight theme. And it, it's almost like it gives you space to think about it. Because sometimes with bigger exhibitions, they're amazing. But you're so kind of exhausted by the end, or I am, that I can't really... I'm just kind of you know, looking without thinking. Yeah, you just want to get through somehow at the end. There's three more rooms. Mm. Um, Whereas little ones, I think there's just something really beautiful and you see the things in dialogue with each other much more because Mm. you're you're sort of focused. I'm all for the small exhibition. I love them. Yeah, me too. Okay, let's agree. Okay. Okay. Well, we've, um, we've gone from mermaids to... To jazz, I think that's pretty good. To jazz, I'm I I like that combination very yeah. much. I'm sure I'm sure we can make a direct combination if we think hard enough. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's for next time. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, great to talk to you. Yes, and to you, and speak to you right. next week. Feel better. Thank you, and you. All right. Bye. Bye.